What is a good life? A question us humans have asked since we started walking on earth. From ancient philosophers like Aristotle and scriptures like Vedas to modern day self-help gurus and new age therapists. They have all told us what it means to have a good life or a life lived well. We are constantly flooded with information and products to improve our well-being. And yet, how many of us really understand it? Hello, my name is Archana Mishra and welcome to my podcast Wellbeing Central. 5 years ago, I began my quest to understand well-being as part of my PhD studies. But this professional pursuit became a personal and transformational journey for me. The more I learned, the more I realized how much there is to explore. It's one thing to read about what the greatest thinkers and philosophers say about well-being, but completely different to understand what it really means to us based on our own lived experiences. We seem to have all the information and resources to improve our well-being for ourselves and our societies, and yet we see some concerning trends. More and more people are suffering from obesity and heart diseases than ever. Mental health crisis is becoming an epidemic. Our societies are becoming more divided, and we are watching news of tragic natural and human disasters almost every other day. Yes, we are living longer, but are we also living well? Are we really managing and improving our well-being? As I'm saying all this, what is going through your mind? How do you understand well-being? I hadn't actually thought about my own subjective view of well-being until I began working on a PhD thesis. I worked under the supervision of Dr. Lance Newey at the University of Queensland Business School in Australia, and my thesis included testing his eight-component well-being model. According to his model, well-being is a unity of eight factors: physical, psychological, environmental, social, cultural, spiritual, economic, and material. Unity means well-being is experienced when all these components are in harmony with each other, and maintaining that harmony is the name of the game. A game that keeps us on our toes because these components are always interacting with each other in a way that they are interdependent and counterbalancing. So basically, all eight are constantly jostling for our attention and if we give any of them too much or too little then there is disharmony and we experience what is not well-being you can find more detail about these eight components and how they interact on my website wellbeingcentral.org but here i'll give you some examples we often think of economic well-being as being well off measured in terms of our income and the stuff we are able to buy from our income creates material well-being these two are related in such a way that over or under emphasis to one will affect the other extreme devotion to income growth and no investment in material comfort can deprive us of better living standards at the same time too much material accumulation without enough income flow will damage our financial security so what do we do keep earning 
or keep buying stuff. Now let's look at social well-being, which provides connection with our community, country and even the world at large. For example, we come together as Australians or Indians or Americans if we are citizens of these countries. We are one nation. On the other hand, cultural well-being allows us to maintain our ethnic and cultural diversity while having a common nationality. We could identify ourselves as First Nation Australians or Italian Americans or tribal Indians. Now, if we focus too much on social well-being at the cost of cultural well-being, then that will diminish our cultural identity. But too much focus on cultural identity may also damage the idea of coming together as one nation or one society. So how can we choose between coming together as one or remaining diverse individuals? And like these two pairs, all the remaining components also constantly counterbalance each other. So any over or under investment in one will affect the other and then our overall well-being will suffer. That is why creating and promoting well-being is quite a complex task. It's not just about eating good food or doing exercises or having good friendships. They are all good in their own way, but it's also about understanding all of the eight factors and their relationship with each other. Doing well in the game of harmonizing all eight is not possible if we keep choosing between them. We cannot take an either or approach to well-being because if we do, then we suffer from the symptoms I mentioned before physical or mental disease, social or cultural conflicts, environmental degradation, loss of purpose or meaning in life, you name it. We cannot choose between economic or environmental well-being, social or cultural well-being, physical or psychological well-being. We need both and we need all. But harmonizing all eight is complex and constant work. And we gain the ability to do that only over time and depending on our level of maturity. Initially, we are able to appreciate and manage only a few of these components. Perhaps some of us can look at physical or mental, environmental. Then, as we grow and experience life, our understanding of well-being evolves and we begin to slowly manage the complexity. We start to see its many parts, not all at once but gradually and eventually we are able to manage all eight at the same time. However, despite that, we never really arrive at the well-being central station. We only get one stop closer to it each time. Even when we are able to grapple all eight relatively easily, we still have to give constant attention to all of them. Any lapse and we will see the symptoms. Well-being, therefore, is a constant journey without a destination. We find ourselves at different stations based on our own life experiences, but never really get there. And these were just some of the findings that came out of my doctoral research. During those years of research, I noticed that while I was interviewing participants and reading literatures necessary for my thesis, I was also becoming my own research subject and slowly a journey of self-reflection began. It started when I asked myself, what does well-being mean to me? My first realization was how difficult it was for me to define well-being, let alone understand it. 
Like many of us, my definition of well-being mainly included a healthy body and a sound mind. So when I came across this model, I scanned my well-being status across all eight components to see how I'm doing. I found that while I could improve on all of them, I wasn't doing too badly on most of them. Good physical and mental health, financial security, material comfort, good friendships and relationships, clean environment, and I also had a strong cultural identity. So I thought, well, if that is the case, then why have I been feeling a bit lost lately? As if I lacked a sense of purpose or meaning in life. I had everything that make a good life. So why was I experiencing this unexplained emptiness? Then it struck me. I realized that I had never really paid attention to spiritual well-being. And perhaps that is now showing up as a lack of a real sense of meaning in my life. Now, spirituality should not be confused with religious beliefs and practices. They have their own place. But here, we can loosely understand spirituality as the recognition or belief that there is something greater than us, something more to being human than just sensory experiences. At its core, spiritual well-being allows us to become aware that we are a part of a greater whole and that we are connected to everyone and everything around us. So at this level, there are no superficial boundaries like the ones we have created based on nationality, ethnicity, class, gender, religious beliefs, and so on. Having had the realization of what I was missing, I began to work on improving my spiritual health. Initially, that came in the form of enrolling into several classes, doing many practices and going on retreats. My Indian heritage meant that I leaned towards some of the oldest well-being practices such as yoga and Ayurveda. And then I learned how both of them promote proactive and holistic well-being. Interestingly, they also deal with all eight components of well-being and place a strong emphasis on harmonizing them. This realization was the catalyst for my personal development on many levels. And I continue to immerse in more philosophical and practical teachings on well-being until I became able to self-reflect. At this point, an inward journey began and I found myself expanding my view of the world and my surroundings. Seeing the world in more and different ways allowed me to move from an I to an us mentality. From just thinking about my own welfare, I could now reflect on my community's well-being. With more self-inquiry, I started understanding an even more expansive perspective of all of us. So from I to us to all of us was my journey. And this worldview allowed me to appreciate all beliefs, ideas, practices and cultures, including the ones that I thought were in conflict to mine. This brought a deep sense of unity between me and the rest of the creation. I could now hold a systems view, which means I could see how everyone and everything are connected as part of a larger system in which each one of us has a role and our own place. I could see how each part and the whole complete the system. Neither of them alone is sufficient. Having felt this connection with my surrounding, I regained a sense of purpose and meaning in life. And the harmony that was missing from my well-being system was now restored. A deeper joy emerged from within, and I experienced a sense of flourishing, 
not just meeting basic needs, but maximizing my potential on all eight components. So this is how well-being works. Each one of the eight factors is important, but neither of them alone can create well-being or promote it. This is not to say that all eight of them need equal attention in all situations, but that all of them should be considered to make sure that we are not over or under investing in any one of them. For example, if I focus too much on spiritual well-being now, that I have become more self-aware and to not take care of my economic or material needs, then that would be bad for my overall well-being. I need to regularly check on other factors and make sure that they are not being over or under-attended. I can say that an understanding of the eight components of well-being by Dr. Lance Nui and the inward journey of self-reflection changed my idea of a good life. And it will continue to change over time with new and different experiences that are yet to come. Based on my research findings and personal experiences so far, I can say that while we never really arrive at Wellbeing Central, we can make this journey meaningful and enjoyable. Given its elusive nature, it now makes sense why us humans have been wondering about well-being since we started walking on Earth and yet, it remains our favorite query. I now invite you to reflect on your own understanding of well-being. How are you doing on these eight components? I'll name them again. Physical, psychological, social, cultural, economic, environmental, material and spiritual. Are you investing too much or too little on any of them? Just check it out. You can think about these questions in private or better still, write to me on my website at wellbeingcentral.org. I would love to hear from you. Thank you for listening and stay tuned for the next episode where I'll share some amazing facts about how and why we think differently about how the world does and should work. Until then... Let's get one stop closer to Wellbeing Central.